In this episode, we need to talk about one of the key players in the world today, which is the European Union or the European Commission. Now, at this moment, we know that and when we talk about this commission, we're talking about this organization, it's not just about the effort that put into the international projects. How about this woman, which is called Ursula von der Leyen, and also known as Ursula VDL? Now, based on the latest article that someone says that despite her great effort and also all the achievement, she's less likely to be nominated for the second term. How about that? And how should we understand the achievement and accomplishment under this woman? Well, ladies and gentlemen, if again, if you follow our show, you should be familiar with one of our distinguished speakers, which is Paul Hagenos. Again, recently he came out with this brand new article, which is entitled, It's Ursula von der Leyen's Europe for Now. Well, Paul, and welcome back to The Missing Piece. Thank you very much, Will. Thanks for asking me to join. It's my honor. Well, Paul, again, the pleasure is oh my. You know, as we mentioned before, when we look at all the international crisis at this moment, all the way from the war in Ukraine and look at this political division between China and the U.S., of course, there's so much more we need to discuss. But why bother to discuss this woman? And again, based on this article that you wrote, why do you think that she's less likely to be nominated for the second term? How should we understand her achievement and accomplish accomplishment at this moment? Well, let, let me just start actually with a little background on Ursula von der Leyen, because she's a very well-known politician in Germany. Mm. She comes from a very prestigious political family. Mm. Her father was a Christian Democrat, as she is, and um, you know, she it was it was very natural for her, she's also a doctor, to, to go into politics. Mm. That said, she has seven children. Mm. And so when she immediately when she made her, her debut in um, in Germany, she went very quickly from to, to the to the top. Um, the chancellor between 19, 2005 and, and 2021 was Angela Merkel. Mm. And Merkel liked von der Leyen a lot. Needless mm. to say, they're both women. They were both within the Christian Democratic Party. They were both on its far liberal side. They weren't your typical kind of old male patriarchal uh, men who had ruled the, 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 the Christian Democrats for decades and decades during the post-war era. But they were entirely uh, new new breath in, in, in the party. Mm. And they, they, they changed things a lot. Uh, the CDU went from being a, you know, a very Christian conservative party, you know, went way to the middle. You know, some people said it was even like the better Social Democratic Party. Mm. And there was nobody who represented this more than uh, Ursula von der Leyen and Angela Merkel. Uh, Merkel appointed von der Leyen to three different cabinet posts, mm. uh, positions which she filled relatively well. Um, and uh, Merkel certainly saw her as a possible successor. The problem is that the Christian Democrats, and particularly those who were more conservative, probably, mm. and those were all probably also more male, uh, didn't like her um, because she was the far left side of the party, and they felt that the party had moved too close to the center during the Merkel years. Mm. Uh, that's understandable. Uh, but her, 
popularity or unpopularity um, has has deeper roots because it wasn't just the man. Mm. I mean, also women in opinion polls, she showed up very near the bottom of the list of, you know, like, you know, a dozen or 20 politicians. She would often wind up toward the bottom. And that there are different analyses or guesses as, as to why that is. Um, I mean, one is that some people say she's just too perfect. Mm. She's, she's petite. She looks great. Her hair is always perfect. She's always immaculately dressed. She has seven children. She's a doctor. You know, I mean, she's gone from one post to the other. And some people think, um, including women, that it's just a little bit much of a, a colleague of mine who, who was quite um, fond of her and mm. thinks actually that she'd be a great candidate for chancellor, for example, said that even though that's the case, whenever she's in her company, she wonders if, well, if her shirt's not tucked in properly or or her uh, her nails aren't, aren't polished perfectly or her, her shoes are, are scuffed up. So and this was why she actually was never put in the position of running for chancellor. Uh, Merkel ended up picking somebody, actually the party ended mm. up picking somebody nominated by Merkel. Last time we ran, it was a, a male and he did very, very poorly. Mm. I can't imagine that the von der Leyen would have done less well. But anyway, by this time, um, uh, Merkel had put her in the position more or less of um, uh, as a president of, of, of the commission. Hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting that how you describe this charisma and this successful path that prepared for Ursula. But meanwhile, again, going back to the article, and again, this is something that you touch on, but I think it's better that you help us to understand a little bit more. This is what you wrote, and I quote, detractors within her own conservative European People's Party, which would have to nominate her deeply resent von der Leyen's leadership. Now, you know, when we look at her leadership, again, as this role, as the president, she really handled the crisis quite well, again, from the pandemic to the war in Ukraine and also other international conflicts. But here's the question I still want to ask is, how should we understand her leadership style? And hypothetically, if her leadership style were so successful, how should we understand that resentment? I mean, it shouldn't be just about someone thought that she's too perfect. Isn't that, isn't that the qualification that we're looking for? Someone should be perfect running to be the president. Someone is perfect that to shoulder the much greater responsibilities. It seems so conflicting when we are making those comments. we we'll hear those comments. What do you think to that? Well, I personally don't think she's too perfect. I think she's very capable, and I've, I've always been a big fan. Um, in, the, in the European Union, in the, her position, which she's had now for almost four years, she's been really, by, by Brussels insiders and by, by, the, by the Biden administration as well, mm. highly praised. Um, she did indeed. She, she, had, she had a tough job uh, in front of her during the the COVID pandemic and then it comes to Ukraine and now there's also um, some kind of a confrontation I'll talk about this a little bit later with the United States over its Inflation Reduction Act and, and the climate programs but um, and it's her, her style it's not so charismatic she's a workhorse she works mm. crazy long days she sleeps in a little room above her office 
she doesn't ever go out on the town as many of her predecessors did um you know in the evenings all of the the, the european parliamentarians all the people who work in the in the eu are out having a, a glass of uh, belgian belgian beer um but it's this this in in the the source of the unhappiness right now one of the hurdles for her to have another term is with her own party the european party mm. so the christian democrats or conservatives of who are in Germany or France or Italy or whatever, they all join together in one party on the EU level, and that's called the European People's Party. So mm. all the conservative parties of Europe there are come together. And at the head of it right now is a guy by the name of Manfred Weber. He's uh, German, and um, as a matter of fact, he had been really quite, quite liberal himself. Uh, that was his reputation for years. The thing is that during the last EU election, he represented the party as the front candidate. Mm. And if the, 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 the European people won the most number of votes, he would have or should have been the president of the commission. But he's, people really don't like him that much. Uh, Macron in particular didn't think he was competent. Um, so he actually, there was really a dealing that happened and, and, um, he was replaced by, by Ursula von der Leyen and he took it in quite a good way, um, as well, well as one can imagine. It's really quite a gentleman about it until recently, um, there started some, um, some, some griping and grumbling to be heard and within the, um, European People's Party, they now have another candidate, mm. so they're not necessarily pushing this candidate in front of Ms. von der Leyen, but a much more uh, traditionally conservative, uh, culturally conservative candidate who, uh, for example, opposes a woman's right to mm. uh, terminate a pregnancy, for example. Um, now, that's only one of the hurdles mm. that she has to pass as being, being nominated by her own party. I mean, don't forget there are the elections itself, and the European People Party has to be the the, the, the number one party mm. in order for her to, to even be considered. So that's actually, I think, a, a, a hurdle um, even even greater because she does have the support of most of her party in Germany. Um, it is also the case in order for it all to happen that the German government also has to uh, approve of her, as do all of the governments of, of, of the European Union and the European Council. So, although most people seem to think that this would happen, um, that uh, both Greens and Social Democrats and, and the Liberals who are in the, uh, the party and in the government in, in Germany right now, um, they think that they, they'd stand behind von der Leyen. Um, if, if they didn't, then it might be somebody from a different country and, and, and they wouldn't, wouldn't want to risk that. So, so there are a lot of question marks about who's going to be the next European Commission president. Mm. It could be Ms. von der Leyen, uh, but then again, it might not be. Mm. That's all we can say right now. Of course, Paul, despite all the uncertainties, but let's bring two countries into our conversation. One you mentioned, which is the United States of America. And the other one is the competitor with U.S., which is China. But I want to bring those two countries separately. Let's talk about the relationship between U.S. and China, excuse me, between U.S. and the European Union at this moment. Paul, you mentioned 
that sitting U.S. President Joe Biden had a good relationship with Ursula. Again, given the fact that since Joe Biden took over and he's trying or he's making greater effort to restore the faith and the confidence around the world and despite what happened with the predecessors. Now, help us to understand when we understand this Biden-Ursula relationship, how would you describe it? So in other words, under Ursula, under Joe Biden, what are some of the major achievements? I remember last time when you and I would have conversation regarding the climate change, based on our previous conversation, we were saying that some of the major countries should actually contribute more in order to create much better results or more effective results. Now, in terms of for the uh, climate change or climate crisis, how would you evaluate the effort between Ursula and Biden at this moment? Okay, first of all, it's good that we move to this topic because one of the main projects of the European Union um, over the past decade and going into the next decade is the European Green Deal. Mm. So that's great, that, that, that's all of the different measures from agriculture to energy generation, to, to competition, um, which are bundled together in a, a, a great big program called the European Green Deal. Mm. Uh, and uh, line, she she's not a green, but she has gotten behind this. And um, her vice president, Franz Timmermans, he's actually the one in charge of it. He's pushing it, but she's got behind it as well. And there are very few people, even in the Greens, who would criticize the way that uh, Ms. von der Leyen has, has, has pushed and stood up for uh, the, the, the European Green Deal. Now, um, as for the United States, I mean, until recently, there was a, a large discrepancy between how far the European Union had gone and mm. the United States. That, however, has changed since our last discussion because um, the, the United States passed the Inflation Reduction Act, mm. the IRA, which is actually more of a climate climate protection uh, package and basically earmarks $360 billion for, all, for subsidizing. It's a really a, kind of a classic um, industrial policy for subsidizing uh, the, the renewable energy and clean tech sectors in the United States. It's a huge amount of money, and in a way, some people argue that it's actually pushed mm. uh, the United States ahead now of, of the European Union. Now, one of the things that it certainly has done is it's caused some, some conflict, because although the European Union and the European uh, member states, although some of them subsidize their, their clean tech and their renewable energy uh, sectors, I mean, the, the countries that have the money to do that, like Germany and France, the smaller countries don't. And in general, uh, the European Green Deal is not a regular package of subsidies. It's rules and regulations. And, and foremost, there's, a, there's carbon pricing. There's basically a price per ton mm. of, of carbon emitted. And in certain sectors, like in the industrial sector and the power sector and in aviation as well, um, all firms in the United States and in the European Union are now paying one way or another through um, through that system for every ton of carbon they emit. So on the one hand, that's a signal itself. I mean, it's moving people away from the most, uh, from the dirtiest mm. uh, emitting industries and technologies to cleaner ones. 
but it's also generating revenue for countries to um, well to, to help to help the industries themselves uh, go in the direction of, of clean tech, or they can also be money that's put towards helping uh, low-income people or having trouble affording affording the energy that's going to be more expensive, etc. Um, but so so the Europeans were really kind of taken by surprise when the IRA was passed, although it actually if they had been falling in through Congress, they wouldn't have been, but because it wasn't such a big surprise, but it did pass all of a sudden because mm. it had been, been a lot of going back and forth in the United States and actually at a certain point, they didn't think it was going to pass. And then all of a sudden they got one senator who had been holding out to get on board and it passed. So the Europeans were suddenly like, oh boy, um, you know, here's this huge package of subsidies are they so great that European firms will actually go to the United States to, to, to take advantage of them? You know, will they leave Europe? And so there's been a lot of talk about it. And von der Leyen has said that they're going to be, you know, sub European subsidies as well. So I'm not sure what kind of form they are, but that they're basically going to um, be now um, also a great play a greater role, I think, in the European Green Deal and Europe's energy transformation. You know, Paul, let's bring China into our conversation. Again, if we follow the news closely, sitting Chinese President Xi Jinping, number one, just got confirmed for his continuation of the president for the country. But meanwhile, if we pay attention closely to the speech, China is also gearing up to to uh, uh, contribute to this greater effort for climate change. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, not too long ago, I believe it's end of the last year or either the beginning of this year, a few representatives from the European Union actually paid a visit to China. Again, several deals were in discussion, but mainly it really to reaffirm this trade agreement between China and the European allies or European partners. Paul, help us to understand what is the relationship between China and the European Union under Ursula? So in other words, how did she actually manage the country of China in order to balance the relationship between her, between uh, European Union and the US? What do you think of that? I think it's a very hard question to answer, and I'm not sure that I have a good answer for you. I mean, Europe has long had a different relationship and different policies toward China than the mm. United States. Um, they do a huge amount of trade with, with China and have been a little more cautious than the United States in making sure that that trade, that relationship, which is mostly an economic one, is protected. Mm. Um, there's no doubt that the European Union has much stronger transatlantic roots than it does um, all the way over to, to Asia. But um and now with the war in ukraine that whole uh, calculation becomes even more complicated um if indeed china seems to uh, be ever friendlier with russia or supporting uh, whether directly or indirectly uh, the russian war on ukraine you know that's going to throw a spanner in relationships with with, with the european union um the European Union countries, and then there are 27 of them, yet they've stayed together so far. And, you know, after a full year of war with Ukraine, with a lot of hardship, a lot of refugees, a lot of money has been spent, and that the unity of the, of the European Union is really at stake. Mm. 
people mm. don't know how much longer it will hold out another year. There are already some countries, for example, like Hungary, that have threatened to, to veto um, uh, aid to, to, to Ukraine if, if one thing or another doesn't happen. So, so there's, there's a lot of balancing going on right now. And I think uh, the European Union's relationship with China, I think a lot will become clear within the next year. Right now, it's all very fragile. It's all very complicated. I got two more questions before letting you go. Now, even though we know in reality, regardless who will be the next president for this job, now, you're the expert and help us to understand for this upcoming year, whoever the person is going to continue to shoulder the, uh, the responsibilities, what are some of the significant tasks or missions that for the European Union, because we know at this moment, it's not just about the war in Ukraine. It's not just about the political division or what we call political polarization for the world. But meanwhile, everyone is paying attention to this economic agenda for the whole world. So again, going back to the question, what are some of the major concerns to uh, for the president, for the new president, uh, um, for the European Union, and how do you think this person should be chosen or should be selected at this moment? Well, I'll answer the first question first, the last question first, which is like, I think it should be called, uh, decided the way the European Union has said it's going to be decided, that each of the, the, the European political parties puts forward a, a front person, and if that party gets enough votes, then that person would, 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 would become the president. As mm. I mentioned, it, it's not what happened last time. And that was deeply undemocratic and, and unfair um, and contradictory and hypocritical. But at the same time, I think actually the right person got the job. And I think that's also what, what France and Germany uh, were, were most concerned about. Now, as for the topics, well, I mean, of course, the Ukraine is going to be absolutely huge. Um, you know, the questions are going to be how much more funding can go towards the Ukraine, whether that can start to be more military. Um, so foreign policy, which has always been kind of a weak point mm. for the European Union, is going to become ever more important. And, um, you know, how how, how the, the, the foreign and security policies of the European Union can come together and be more serious and so they, that the European Union can punch on the diplomatic level at the same weight as it is an economic power. And it has never, it has never done that. Mm. Um, there was always the... The one-liner that had been attributed to Henry Kissinger, although in the meantime, I think they'd say that it, it, it wasn't he, but it doesn't really matter. He said, um, you know, my problem with European foreign policy is I don't have one telephone number to call. Mm. I need one telephone number. I need one person to talk to. And in a way, uh, von der Leyen has answered that question because she is now, she's the front person in, in, in Europe. She um, mm. is more important than, than the council president or anybody in the European Parliament. So she, you know, the one thing would be to kind of take that further um, and make a more coherent foreign security policy. And then Ukraine goes right along with that. The second thing, of course, is, is responding to the United States and um, in, the, in the field of, of, of climate protection. You know, it's, it's seen very much as an economic uh, issue in Europe and in the United States because you're basically, I mean, transitioning an entire economy and also the way economics are done. I mean, this kind of, I mean, putting $360 billion towards the clean tech industry, that's, that's novel. Uh, no other president ever done anything like that. It's mm. an incredible feat 
on behalf of the Biden administration. Something, something like that was even, even Obama didn't get something like that done. Um, I, I think, I think those are the two big things. I mean, the, mm. the European Union is, is active on so many different fronts and is, um, active and, and, and present in the lives of every every European that there's almost no 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 one topic that or one issue that, that it doesn't touch upon but I think that those are the main ones. Paul, I want to wrap up our conversation by going back to one more question again in addition to what we are saying regarding the European Union and also the uh, um, effectiveness uh, effectiveness of the uh, um, collective effort, People are very worried within the international community that countries such as Germany seem to be much closer, economically speaking, and also politically speaking, to be closer with China. Now, you are based in Berlin, and you're the expert that who studies those matters. Can you help us briefly to explain what is your take if German or if Germany were to be much closer with China, politically speaking or economically speaking, how do you think the outside uh, outsiders are going to see this relationship, or do you think that the current chancellor of Germany is taking right approach with China? Relations with China are right now in flux. Mm. It's very difficult to say what's going to happen over the next six months or years time. I don't think that the European Union, the European member states or Germany has a clear cut policy mm. toward China that is, that is seeking to push forward. I think everything they want with economic relations with China, of course, they want China to be part of the uh, the climate protection process, which it is. Uh, they want peaceful relations with China. They don't want another war with, mm. uh, with, the, Ukraine, with the Ukraine war, you know, dividing Europe right now. So those are all the main topics. Um, and I think in the German government, the German government is run right now by social democrats. And they saw themselves, and a real important part of their identity is that during the Cold War, they, 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 they launched what was called the Ostpolitik, or the Eastern policies, where they reached out while, while, while Cold War was raging between the Soviet Union and the United States. Mm. They reached out across the border to, to East Germany and to the Central European states, and they did business. Meaning with the two Germanys, there were a lot of, lot of different kinds of contacts. Mm. Um, transfers of people you know, what, what the what the border looked like what the border uh, weaponry looked like on, on the side of east there were all kinds of topics that were discussed between the two germanys and there was a whole lot of progress made and the, the german social democrats were very proud of this they also called it trade through commerce trade through, um, peace 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 through commerce or change through commerce sorry that by engaging in in trade mm. with the East Bloc, that they kept them close and they were able to talk to them. They were able to get business done. And the Social Democrats thought they could do this with Russia too. And they were wrong. Mm. They were very wrong. Now, they were pursuing kind of an Ostpolitik towards Russia over the past 10 or 20 years. 
And they believed it was going to work. They believed that the confrontation was wrong. They believed that a way to do it was to reach out, be close to them. The closer you could be to Russia, the more trade you were doing, the better. Mm. So, I mean, I believe it's the same with China. I mean, the same way of thinking that being close is better than alienating your your other, I want to actually say opponent, but um, other, other other countries that which has interests and you have interests in. So, and but now, I mean that 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 Ostpolitik positions of the Social Democrats has been completely discredited. So, to be perfectly honest, it's hard to say what the Social Democrats have for a foreign policy, if any at all. They're rethinking it right now, and they're going to be rethinking their relationship with China. It as as the next as the next year unfolds, so it's something we can all watch very closely. That's right, Paul. Again, I agree with you wholeheartedly. As we are moving forward with the year of 2023, on one hand, everything seems so unpredictable. But on the other hand, again, if there's nothing we learn from the pandemic, one thing that we should bear in mind is at this moment we don't need division, but instead we should always root for unification. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to speak to Paul Hockenos. Again, he's the first Berlin-based journalist, and I strongly encourage everyone to go online, follow Paul on social media. Of course, his latest article, which is entitled, It's Ursula von der Leyen's Europe for Now. Again, we hope that Paul can come back during our show as we continue to follow this progress regarding not just about Germany, not just about the European Union, but also the matters around the world. Again, Paul, thank you so much for doing this.